Whether it's politicians or health professionals or even average Canadians, most people will tell you healthcare in Canada is struggling. While there are many friction points, from the strain of the COVID-19 pandemic, staff burnout or even funding, getting at the solutions has proven challenging. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10.3. Today I'm joined by freelance writer Mark Hill, who's part of a joint project between the National Post and The Hub, looking at the problems plaguing healthcare in Canada, to discuss what's at the core of these issues, how changing expectations in healthcare can affect the system, and where Canada should look to for solutions. Don't forget you can find us on all your favorite listening platforms, whether that's Spotify or Apple, Google or Amazon. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review and pass the word about the show. So Mark, one of the most pressing issues in Canada we're repeatedly told of late is healthcare, namely that our system is crumbling, we don't have adequate resources to get timely care in ERs, for surgeries, for family doctors and on and on and on. What in your opinion, is at the core of this issue, and why are we seeing this as a more urgent problem of late? Um, I would argue that the core of this issue is that tax revenue has not kept pace with healthcare costs. You know, there are a lot of scary headlines out there about the hundreds of billions we spend on healthcare, but prior to COVID, which of course blew everything up, uh, healthcare expansion was rising at a steady, predictable, alarming rate of about 1.4% per capita per year, which that's not chump change, but it's a cost you can you know, budget for, plan for. But, you know, since the 80s, the top income tax bracket rate has gone down. Corporate tax rates have plummeted. So we've shed tens of billion dollars of tax revenue, and you know healthcare is seen as an untouchable budget item. So the costs are eating into the provincial budgets. They're blowing up from 30 to 40, even close to 50 percent. So it's not that healthcare costs are something out of control. It's that the pie is shrinking, and healthcare still needs the same slice. As you mentioned in the discussion in Canada, the debate revolves around cost, and a lot of that comes down to how much various levels of governments are spending. I know health is a provincial jurisdiction, but the feds have a role to play in healthcare funding as well. And we saw that come to the fore last week in meetings between the federal and provincial territorial health ministers. What is it that the provinces are wanting to see from the feds in terms of dollars or in terms of other supports? Essentially, they want to see more dollars. Uh, The provinces argue they need more money, uh, primarily to help with drug rehab programs, mental health programs, uh, linger effects of COVID. Uh, The federal government has hinted at providing more money and then kind of walked those promises back. So federal contributions to healthcare aren't really keeping up with rising costs. I think arguably what's just as interesting and important is what the provinces and feds didn't talk about, which is building a national strategy to address these problems. The provinces, they present a united front to ask for more money, but then whatever money they do get is going to go into 10 different programs, 10 different priorities. And so the uh, Canadian Medical Association uh, responded to this meeting. They argued that we need to focus on national efforts that will streamline the healthcare system across Canada rather than just throw more money at it in perpetuity. You know, as as mentioned, one of the, one of the problems is, is one of funding, but what else is at play here? Are, are there issues around outcomes and efficiencies in the system? Are there any other issues at play in the health system that, that we need to talk about when it comes to, to access and funding? Uh, yeah, it is primarily an issue of funding and certainly the stressors of COVID and health. But, you know, Canada needs more doctors, needs more nurses. Uh, we have fewer doctors per can- 1,000 Canadians than our European peers. We need to keep the professionals who do have them burning out. Right now, it's if a doctor from you know Italy or Germany wants to come practice in Canada, it's not really easy for them. Uh, one big issue: uh, every doctor I spoke to, every economist I spoke to, said that eliminating provincial licensing would help. Like, there's no real reason a doctor is qualified to do surgery in BC can't do it in Manitoba. 
And there are there are good signs here. BC just announced a new pay plan for doctors, which is designed to keep them in the province, which again comes back to funding. But we do need more doctors and ways to keep them here. I'm curious. Over the years, the notion of what constitutes healthcare has changed, and and the concept of what falls under the healthcare umbrella has changed. How does that change the calculus of the healthcare discussion in Canada? So when you get, go back to the 50s, you know the the misshrouded 50s, we had a precursor to the CHA called HIDS. And back then, ibuprofen was on the shelves, pharmacare and mental health care were in their infancy, elder care, you know, we didn't have retirement homes as much as we had. You take grandpa on deal with them while he, you know, has dementia. People smoked in hospitals because the link between cigarettes and lung cancer had been established. So back then, healthcare meant doctors and hospitals. You went to the doctor, you were sick, went to the hospital if you need surgery. That was basically it. And while medical care has advanced a lot since then, you know, when we got the CHA in the 80s, that view hasn't really changed. So today, of course, we have a much broader view of healthcare. We know drugs are important. You know, mental health care is important. We know elder care is important. We know, for example, that poor dental health can increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. And that puts us in an odd situation where the government will happily pay your bills. You want unsightly bunion removed. But then if you have this cavity that's causing you horrible, horrible agony, you're, you're kind of on your own. I, uh, I, I mean, one of the things, I, I know you have another piece in this, this series that looks at the Canada Health Act and, and its legacy. And as you mentioned, we, it was brought in in the 1980s and it, we hear it in debates, uh, political debates in Canada when provinces want to bring in more private suppliers in healthcare, and you know, is that allowed under the Canada Health Act? I mean, how has the landscape changed since the introduction of the Canada Health Act, and is it a good fit for the modern healthcare system? Yeah, the CHA is both an incredible legislative landmark and arguably a bit dated. Uh, you know, the feds provide most of the money, the provinces provide all the services, and in doing so, the provinces are supposed to guarantee you know equity and access. And that's better than earlier systems we had where first one side had too much power and then the other side too much power and nothing really got accomplished. But aside from the nuclear option of turning the taps off, the federal government can't really enforce that mandate of equity and access. And voters aren't punishing provincial governments at the polls for failing to live up to the ideals of the CHA. And it, again, it kind of comes back to uh, you know what we spoke about a minute ago about how healthcare has changed, where the you know, CHA isn't really designed to refresh itself and say, okay, now we should provide dental care and we should provide pharmacare. So you're kind of starting from scratch legislatively if we do want to uh, move forward with programs like that. We'll be right back. Now, looking at the healthcare system in general in Canada, it feels like most Canadians, I don't necessarily know if everyone loves it but most canadians i i think we can we can agree we love the universality in our system the ability to just go to the doctor and not have to worry about paying out of pocket and we run into a problem when people can't access a system due to long waits or a lack of staff or a lack of family doctors the debate breaks down along partisan lines when it comes how to fix things you know we'll have people say well we need to fund the system better you'll have other people say we need to find efficiencies in the system to run it in a more lean fashion to attract competition and, and things like that. And and people get up in arms when you use the term private. Now, in an attempt to improve the system, what are people in Canada arguing for? Yeah, it's a very loaded debate that raises a lot of hackles, a lot of passions. The arguments for, you know, privatization, quote unquote, there's essentially two of them. There's one for what advocates call privatization, which essentially we see in the United States. That's 
private for-profit hospitals to people who can afford to use them will do so, and in theory, shorten the queue for the public system. Uh, every doctor I spoke to hates that idea. The issue is that you know, if you build a private hospital that doesn't spawn doctors and nurses out of the ether, they take doctors from the public system, and so the public system lines get even longer. Uh, Australia tried this a couple of years ago and just made their public wait times worse. And I think you only have to look at you know the the horror stories of Americans being bankrupted by medical bills to to see why it's a concern. The more intriguing option, I think, the less discussed option is what advocates call liberalization of the healthcare system. And this is something a lot of our OECD peers uh, do, which is allow people to own duplicate insurance. So they have both their public system insurance and then the private insurance. If you take Sweden as an example, uh, private clinics there can set their own salaries, benefit packages, et cetera, but they receive public funding and are regulated by the government. So they can't, you know, bill hundreds of thousands of dollars to get your tonsils out. They have to build a legal government mandated limit. And the idea there is that you know, these private clinics, they have to compete for employees. They've got to compete for patients. They have to spend their public funds efficiently. So they're incentivized to provide a good service and make every dollar count. It's not a magic bullet. Sweden does rank all above us in both access and equity, which are the values of you know, the CHA enshrines. But the catch is that the Swedes also pay more taxes and their healthcare system is better funded. So, you know, these ideas could help, but ultimately we do need to get more money into the system one way or another. Why are places like Sweden and the UK perhaps better comparisons for us than the United States? Is it because, you know, places like Sweden and the UK already kind of already have a, a kind of a more robust public healthcare system? And so moving to that model may take less less work or less pain? I think that's the biggest reason. Yeah, I mean, the, the UK's NHS is closer to what we have than anything the U.S. offers, so it's much easier to compare data points. Beyond that, you know, what constitutes good healthcare is subjective, but if you're looking at the Western world, the United States ranks dead last in pretty much any ranking you choose to pick, you know, Commonwealth Fund rankings, OECD rankings. I don't want to exaggerate and say they're horrible, but it's not one we should be looking to emulate. And that's not to say that places like Sweden don't have problems of its own. You know, their system has pressure points. You know, where where are some of those and, and could that pose a problem for Canada should we decide to move to a model like that? Yeah, their system can still lead to de facto queue jumping. It can still be used as an excuse to, you know, say, oh, the public system is inefficient. Let's just cut it. Swedes, like we do, see themselves as struggling with wait times and funding. They're have better funding, they have better wait times. So arguably the lessons that we should spend more arguably is that we'll never be happy. Um, take your pick. But, you know, it's, again, it's not a magic bullet. Are we already kind of on that path towards liberalization in Canada? I mean, in, in your piece, you you point out examples of, of like private clinics in places like Quebec and British Columbia. We, you know, there are examples of, of private facilities being publicly funded, offering surgeries for things like cataracts and hip replacements to help alleviate wait times. Are we kind of already on the liberalization path in this country? Uh, arguably, we're kind of stumbling into it. Yeah, I think the Canby case getting shot down in the courts has slowed that somewhat. But as you said, uh, you know, private clinics are getting some public funding. On the plus side, they were used to help clear out the surgery backlog that COVID created, which is good. Uh, conversely, Quebec is worried that they sort of have a nascent two-tier system that is you know, stressing the public system by creating longer wait times. And the concern is that, you know, it's distracting from the public system because the problems are sort of stumbled into it with no real plan. And this is why we have to talk about potential fixes, otherwise sort of just drip into a, uh, drift into a stopgap solution that no one is really happy with. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was this, you know, the idea of, you know, you can get publicly funded 
treatment for a bunion, but something like dental care, you have to go pay out of pocket or hope that you have an uh, insurance through your workplace that would, would cover a dental procedure. And one of the other areas that, that there's been discussion around in Canada is this idea of pharmacare and whether we need a national pharmacare program. But look, just looking at pharmacare in general, What's the situation for Canada compared to some of our peer countries? Yeah, so the the big three costs in healthcare are hospitals, doctors, and drugs. And right now, Canadians are frankly getting screwed on the ladder. You could use a harsher word if you wanted. Uh, unlike most of our Western peers, drugs are included in our health coverage. Uh, so we're second only to the U.S. in drug costs. We're paying a hundred bucks for a prescription that costs ten bucks in New Zealand. And so, very long story short, the idea behind a pharmacare program is that we would buy drugs in bulk. It's cheaper to buy, uh, you know, a thousand rolls of toilet paper at Costco than four at the gas station. Uh, private insurance is generally happy to pay whatever they're charged because they just pass the cost on to their clients. And so, a pharmacare program would give us a united front when it comes to drug pricing. And of course, the concern is that, well, a new program means new expenses, new taxes, but we're all paying anyway. I mean, you and I might pay for drugs, our employer does. Or we as taxpayers pay when you know someone who can't afford the medication winds up in the ER unnecessarily. And according to all the doctors I spoke to, this would be the easiest way for Canada to save money. It's just it would take a lot of political will to achieve. You have to sell to the public. You have to go toe to toe with pharma companies, some of which you know help keep us alive through COVID. But drugs are certainly a stark example of where Canada is not keeping up with our peers. Looking at at making some of these fixes, you know, I get the sense that there are economists who who agree that our health system needs to be fixed. There are doctors who would agree that our health system needs to be fixed. There are politicians who agree that our health system needs to be fixed. Why is there inertia in Canada when it comes to making some of these changes? I think it's very easy to just point the finger and blame someone else. You know, the feds can blame the provinces, the provinces can blame the feds. And as much as we as taxpayers like to, to gross about it, ultimately we're not really punishing provincial governments at the polls for healthcare issues. And as long as that continues, I, I think we may see exchange these lack of inertia, unfortunately. Well, it is a fascinating issue. I know it's one that's top of mind for many Canadians, especially as we still wrangle with COVID and, and now are into flu season and, and dealing with other viruses spreading through the community. It's a, an issue that I think many will be paying attention to more closely. Mark, thanks for your time. Thank you very much for having me. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Mark Hill. More from him and this project at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.